Welcome to the Renew Theology Podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Bethany. We're two millennial women who enjoy discussing God's Word and how it applies to our lives. We believe in seeking to be rooted and established in the Word and allowing its truth to penetrate every area of our lives. Welcome to another episode of Renew Theology. How's it going, Bethany? Going pretty great. Thanks. You? It's good. Good. And we have to wish Bethany a happy birthday because today, which is the day we are recording this, which is not the day you are hearing this, it, Bethany turned the big 25. Hooray. Congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> so Bethany's birthday um, was on Monday of this week. You're hearing this on Thursday. She is now a maturing adult, (laughs) I said to her. We were discussing this. Like, what's the difference? Like, 20-something seems to be something you call someone who's younger than 25. Yeah. I feel like once you're 25, you just own it. Yeah. I'm I'm totally comfortable with saying I'm 25. I kind of felt like saying I'm 25 for the past, like, three weeks anyway. Really? Yeah. Also, we never pointed it out, but Emily also had a birthday, like, what is it? A week ago? Like, um, like eight, nine days ago, I think it is. It was last weekend. Yeah. Last Saturday, the 14th. Yeah. So she's a slightly older 20 something. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I turned 24. There we so. go. <laughs> so um, I'm still the, I'm still, I still call myself the 20 something, I guess. September is a super crazy birthday month and anniversary month for my family. Mine as well. Like we, I just, well, we're recording this after a whole bunch of people came over to my house for a party for myself, my brother, and my grandpa, and my uncle who wasn't here, and then it was my grandma and grandpa's anniversary, and it's just, it's a lot of birthday stuff happening in September, and then same with your family. Yeah, my birthday, William's birthday, and our anniversary are all within, all in September within 10 days of each other. Oh yeah, well same with ours then. Yeah. That's beside the point, thank you very much. Yeah, so today we are going to be talking about contradictions in the Bible. So, Um, I had a friend ask me about a specific contradiction because she had had people ask her about it. And so we were just sort of talking about that. And I was like, oh, I'm going to research that for you. And um, so I did that. And then I was like, hey, this would be a fun podcast topic. And so I looked up some other popular Bible contradictions that um, atheists in particular will sort of use to discredit the Bible and say that it's um, not valid because it contradicts itself. So we're going to be doing three contradictions today. And we will brief you on those. But um, first, we're going to talk about this because, like I said, skeptics of the Bible will often throw out the Bible's validity altogether uh, because of contradictions in the Bible. So when people bring up these supposed contradictions, it can really throw us off as believers. You know, when you're talking to somebody about your faith and they say, yeah, well, I don't believe the Bible because like this verse says one thing and this verse literally says the exact opposite. And you hear that and you go, yeah, they're right. And like, surely somebody has talked about this or figured it out, but I don't know the answer to that. And I don't know how to answer this person now. Um, So that's what we're going to talk about today and hopefully give you just some information to deal with some of these contradictions and, and hopefully inspire you to, to look for some of the answers on your own. So Bethany, do you want to go ahead and give us an overview of all the contradictions we're going to be talking about today? Sure. So contradiction number one, will everyone who calls on the Lord be saved? Contradiction number two, um, is it eye for an eye or turn the other cheek? 
And then contradiction number three, is God all-powerful or not? So the reason why it's important to talk about these, there's a couple of them. First of all, if someone is trying to discredit the Bible, it's easy to throw a lot of these contradictions in a big list and then say them all in one breath. It's like you're being bulldozed by all of these questions. And the assumption is that there's not an answer, um, especially if it's an atheist or someone who's not not a believer offering up these questions. They don't actually really want to hear the answer. They just want to somehow use the idea that there might be a contradiction to discredit the Bible. And one of the problems with this is that because an answer or an explanation to a contradiction takes time, Elisa Childers said one time, and she was quoting someone else, I'm sure, that a lie makes it halfway around the world while the truth is still tying its shoes. Like, it takes time to actually answer someone's question. And they might use the fact that you have to explain it to say that it's false. So I urge you to be open-minded and to take your time and listen to the answers. And then go and look them up. Look them up for yourself. Um, Same with any contradiction or supposed contradiction you might come across in scripture. Like, you're going to, you might have to do a bit of research because the Bible was not written for you. Um, The Bible was written (laughs) to a people in a time and a place back in history by people who did not think or speak either your language or like you did and so you might it might take some time to figure out exactly what it's trying to say and where that contradiction is coming from and how it can be explained so take your time do your research and we've done the time and research for three which we're going to share with you right now so the first one is will everyone who calls on the lord be saved or not. So the two verses that are said to contradict each other are from Matthew and Romans. So they're both in the New Testament. The first one is Matthew 7 verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And then our Romans passage says, uh, this is Romans 10 verses 11 to 13. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here Paul seems to be contradicting Jesus. Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So what's the deal here, Bethany? Well, the first thing to note is that the Matthew passage is referring to people who thought they were serving the Lord because they were doing things in his name. Like his name was like some like magic spell. Like if you say this, like that's what they thought it was like. But they find out on Judgment Day that they weren't truly serving him and that they never actually knew the real Jesus. So Jesus says that only those who do the Father's work will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who truly know Jesus and know the Father, rather than just using his name as a special incantation. Jesus points out in this passage that prophesying, casting out demons, and doing mighty works is not enough. We're required to serve the Father and do what he asks us to do. It's not enough to just do these mighty works and to just show off for Jesus. We need to be faithful in what God has specifically asked us to do. 
doing works in the name of Jesus is different from repenting and trusting him fully for our salvation and then doing the work of the Father. This sort of reminds me of the people who are sort of like showboats. (laughs) The people who get on TV and perform miracles and do all these things in, in the name of Jesus. They are not doing that in their own names. They're doing it in the name of Jesus. But you can compare what they're doing with scripture and say they're not doing God's will. So that's sort of what just came to my mind when I read this passage. I look at it as like, what does it mean to actually do the will of the Father? So are you following Jesus for what he can do for you or because being a Christian is cool? Or do you actually want to serve Jesus because of what he's done for you and because, you know, he loves you? Like, while God can accomplish his will through anyone that he chooses, um, only some people are actively and genuinely seeking to do his will for the right reason. Sometimes the people who are doing it, who are in it for themselves, are obvious, and sometimes they're really not obvious. It, it really depends. And at the end, you'll find out. Yeah, God knows our hearts. So we'll hop over to that Romans passage now. And the, the main phrase here we were dealing with was, um, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Romans passage is making a point about who will be saved in the context of a church that was primarily Jewish, but was also bringing in Gentile converts. So remember, Christianity was really a fulfillment of Judaism. So the first Christians were Jews who recognized that Jesus was the Messiah that was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Something that's sort of important to remember for this is that the Jews' entire history and culture, every law they had, every practice that they had in their culture was marked by being separate from other nations and being wholly dedicated to God. This is a strong theme in the Old Testament where God says, come out and be separate from them. He says, I brought you out of Egypt that I may bless you and make you a great nation. You are going to destroy other nations so that you will not be influenced by them and because I am judging them. Like this is a theme throughout the Torah, throughout the judges and throughout the Uh, prophets. It's all about Israel being separate from the world and being wholly dedicated to God. I say this because that really helps us understand what a big deal it was for Gentiles to come into the church. Um, If you were Jewish, you were looking at these Gentiles and saying, we've spent literally the last several hundred years being different from you guys because that's what was commanded of us and now how do we make this switch to where you are um, equal heirs in um, in the kingdom of God with us so the fact that Gentiles were being saved and coming into the church caused a lot of issues in the early church and this Paul deals with this multiple times in different letters that he writes to different churches Um, they dealt with issues like do they have to be circumcised do they have to eat kosher can they even be saved so that is the, the circumstances that Paul is writing into. So Paul says that it doesn't matter anymore what ethnic group the Christian is a part of. Jesus died for all. So that's, there's no Jew or Greek, no difference between the two anymore. Paul summarizes this by saying that it is by calling on the Lord that you'll be saved as opposed to following the laws or being ethnically Jewish or like becoming um, a convert to Judaism.
contradiction number two. Eye for an eye, or turn the other cheek. So the first passage is Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 through 25. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judge is determined. But if there is harm, then you shall pay for the life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. The New Testament passage that seems to contradict this one is Matthew 5, verses 38 to 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Okay, so for Exodus, um, when the pregnant woman has been struck and her child has come out, if the child is somehow injured, then that injury is then inflicted upon the person who struck the pregnant woman. So this is an example of case law. This is a when this happens, not a do this. So it's not like do this for everything that that occurs. Like any pain or ill or mistreatment that occurs, it's not this thing. This is case law. So this is one example of something that a, ch- that a judge ordered or that was like a guideline for judges in the time. And this, in fact, was a law that God gave to protect the victim from of the fight. So this was a law that God gave to protect the victim of um, the perpetrator of the crime. In fact, he gave the same value to an adult man as to a just-born child. It's, that's significant in that day and age um, because children were considered to have the same value. And other neighboring nations did not actually value their women and their children. So this is showing that God cares about children and that God places value on children, even ones that are unburnt, unborn um, in the womb. Yeah, this is a great example of there's a child who is innocent in this fight. Um, this child is not involved in this fight. It is in utero. And because of the actions of these men is going to have a disability. So this is God's justice happening here, right? Where, hey, if you cause a child to have a disability, you're going to have the same disability. So on to this Matthew passage now. I already read that passage, but I also want to point out a little earlier in that chapter, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Um, And this is really the key that we need to unlocking this passage and how it does not contradict with the Old Testament law. Jesus um, is expanding on the Old Testament law. He's not contradicting it. He acknowledges the Old Testament. He says, you have heard it was said. And he grew up with this law. This was still the law in Israel when Jesus was doing his ministry. Um, What he's doing is he's taking this law and taking it to the next level. In his coming, Jesus reveals the heart of the law. And that is the law of love. And I think Bethany has mentioned that before in other episodes. But Jesus came... Um, Not to replace the law, not to change it, but to say, hey, 
there's even more to this than you guys realize. And there's other examples too in the Old Testament or in the New Testament rather, where Jesus says, you know, you have heard it was said, do not murder. But I tell you that anyone who hates his brother has already committed murder in his heart, right? So Jesus is taking these laws and expanding on them. You have heard it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, do not even look at a woman lustfully because anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And that is, that is what Jesus is getting at here. So he is not by any means contradicting this law. This law still exists. Oftentimes, the Old Testament law referred to someone's outer actions. So don't commit adultery. Don't do the act of adultery. Don't murder someone. Don't physically do something to take their life. Um, and this, like, there's lots of instances where the Old Testament law is against something physical. It seems like a lot of the New Testament, um, not law, but what Jesus now is teaching as different goes to the heart level. So instead of just your your outer actions showing that you um, support something or don't support something, like just because you are going to the temple when you're supposed to and sacrificing when you're supposed to and praying when you're supposed to, Jesus is now saying, you know what, like there is a heart level here that is going to show us a whole lot more. And just like you can be doing all the right things and your heart can be wrong, I'm telling you that your heart needs to be right, not just your actions. And that God is not concerned mainly with how you play out your life, um, where other people can see. He's concerned about your heart and your thought life um, and what you choose to think about and what you choose to dwell on in your in your head. That That's a perfect example for this, especially with what Emily was saying earlier. Like, yeah, don't commit adultery. <laughs> but hey, do not take the second look at a woman. Do not undress her with your eyes. Do not fantasize about her like that's your thought life anybody who's around you cannot tell what you're thinking just by looking at you but Jesus is concerned about that because man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord he does look at the heart Jesus knows there's plenty of times in the gospels where Jesus um, it says Jesus knowing their thoughts said something and addressed their their thoughts and their heart life and I think that's a really great difference for the law of love is that it goes to the heart level not just the physical level All right, lastly, our third contradiction is, is God all-powerful or not? So in Judges chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, we read this. Judah also captured Gaza with its territory, and Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. Matthew chapter 19, verses 23 through 26 says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. A lot of people use these scriptures... Um, as a challenge to believers because in Matthew you have Jesus saying with God all things are possible and in Judges you have 
this statement that the Lord was with Judah and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain. So why could God not drive out the inhabitants of the plain? But then in the New Testament, with God, all things are possible. I did some digging into this. The he used here, he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants, refers to Judah, not God. Historically, um, we read in the Old Testament things like God gave them over into Israel's hand. Um, God is with them. He gives them the victory. But this doesn't mean that God does all the work for them in the sense that they do nothing. God is the only reason they have victory, but it's not like Israel just stays home and doesn't even bother going out to fight. Um, God still requires something of them, and then he blesses their efforts. Perhaps the bigger lesson we can learn from this passage is that victory requires obedience. If we are not obedient in what God is asking us to do, we're not going to have victory. And this passage seems to imply that concept where Judah, when he went out, he could not drive out the inhabitants, not because God wasn't with him, because it says the Lord was with Judah, but it says because they had chariots of iron. This seems to imply a weakness on Judah's part, not God's. Judah fails to drive out the inhabitants of the plain, not because God was unable to do it, but because they had chariots of iron. Um, This is definitely a fear-based failure on Judah's part. So God does not honor our fear. Um, Sometimes he chooses to work through it. Other times he allows us to miss out on blessings because of fear or perhaps a lack of trust in him. But this is a good, like, okay. So um, in the New Testament, now in the church age, the believers have the Holy Spirit. So God is with us, similar in the sense that um, he was back in this story. And do Christians fail? Heck yes, we do. And so just because God is with you does not mean you will fulfill God's will perfectly and do everything that he asks of you. Um, it says here in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and excellence. So although we have everything we need to live out God's call on our lives and to faithfully obey and live, we do not always do that. So just because God was with him and just because he had the ability to do it does not mean that he was going to absolutely do it. We still have to make the choice. We still have to move forward in in trust. And it does seem that this fear of these chariots of iron, remember this is back in a time when superior technology made all the difference. Um, And chariots were definitely a huge thing and iron was also a huge thing. So this this isn't just something that's like, oh my goodness, no, they had chariots of iron. This is a huge, like tanks versus um, horses. That that could be the advantage. On a human level, it definitely makes sense that Judah was fearful of this. But on like a practical level, in when you have God, who can stand against you? Um, so at this point, he chose not to believe that God would be with him in the circumstance. And that's why it happened. So now over to Matthew. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So when we give some context to this verse, we find out that the disciples' question seems to be, you know, if even the top of society can't get into heaven, how can anyone get into heaven? Because this passage starts with Jesus saying, you know what, it's going to be really difficult for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples hear this and they say, well, then how can anyone get into heaven? 
So here, Jesus is talking about the issue of salvation. And yes, with God, everything is possible. But specifically in this passage, Jesus is referring to salvation. In fact, we we cannot have eternal life by our own power, but God can accomplish this through his power. These disciples are looking at the issue from a very human perspective. If not even the rich people can enter heaven, and what hope is there for anybody else? And they're looking at it quite rationally. Um, But Jesus is looking at it from a heavenly perspective, from like a godly perspective of, you know what? No, God has ordained that this is going to be possible. And so many times we uncover the gospel in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it's called a hidden mystery. Um, The mystery is the gospel of Christ coming and doing for us, what we cannot do for ourselves. And so while it is mysterious in the sense that it was hidden before and and is now revealed and it's this marvelous thing, it's God that does this, not us. We need to be looking at salvation from a godly like God's perspective, not our mere human perspective. And this reminds me a lot of times with other people in my life that I love and I care about or that I hear about that are not believers, that it seems like they're so far from God that they could never come. Um, There is always hope. Look what he did with so many people in the Bible. Paul, aka Saul, killer of Christians, turned into Paul, the apostle for Christ who suffered beatings and shipwrecks and like what God can do with somebody is amazing and it's his work. And in fact, because it is so impossible from a human perspective, that's how we know that it's actually God that did it. That's when we stand up and praise God for what he's done in these people's lives because we know it's him that's done it all. And I think he does that sometimes. He makes something so impossible from a human perspective that when he does go ahead and and do it, we give all the glory to God as it always should be. So now you have some answers when people give you these challenges. Um, we hope this has been helpful for you. That's our desires to provide just really helpful content and maybe learn something today you didn't know before. So, so yeah, if that was the case, share it with your friends. So that is our episode for today. We had a lot of fun talking about it and we'd love to hear what your thoughts are. If you have questions, if you have maybe episode ideas or anything you want us to talk about or have questions, you can email us at renewtheology at gmail.com. You want to connect with us on social media or on Facebook at the Renew Theology Podcast and on Instagram at Renew Theology. And then If you are on an Apple device, it would be so awesome if you could scroll down, tap the stars to give us a rating, and if you're feeling extra loving, you can give us a little review. That would be so great. We love reading those. Um, And if you have anything, we'd, we'd love to hear from it. The last thing is subscribe and share it with your friends. It would be great if this episode um, and this podcast could get out to more people and maybe the Lord can use it through you. Um, That's it. Have a great rest of your week. Bye.